You're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley, here for the very last Supercoach team preview for 2023. We've got one team left, being that we've got 17 teams. So South Sydney Rabbitohs fans, you're in for a treat. You get to hear all about your team right before we got a TLT. So this one's getting released on the weekend. It's a little bit uh, tight for the deadlines and everything, but you can still give it a good listen because... There's some amazing options in the South Sydney team. And to do the South Sydney Rabbitohs, we've got Matty Person back on board. Perso did the Tigers podcast with me uh, and also one of the other ones. And he is a podcast veteran and a Tigers fan. But I reckon he's got a fair bit to say about South Sydney too. So welcome back aboard, Perso. Good to have you. Always good to be in the All-Stars podcast, Barzi. Um, Third podcast I've done this week, actually. So I'm getting around a bit this week. Getting around plenty. Well, look, let's try and make this the best one to finish off the week on. Sounds good. South Sydney. It's quite amazing how many preliminary finals that they've made for the last five or six years. And their team's pretty largely changed. I think one of the big things, obviously, is going to be the fact that Latrell Mitchell is going to be there, hopefully, for the whole year. Uh, Obviously, he played the first month of last year and then was out for an extended period of time. Uh, before we go through the gains and losses, they've obviously got a lot of super coach options, but just talking about the season in general, great achievement the last six years of their performances and stuff. How do you sort of see this season unravelling for them? Uh, more of the same, I think. they got a pretty steady roster. They didn't really lose too many big-name players. They didn't gain any either, but they got quite a few good juniors coming through. The roster looks good. I think they went well with Demetrio last year, another off-season with him. Well, they got a nasty draw. It's the worst draw in the comp, pre-origin, but um, they are one of the better sides. I could see them in the prelim or GF again this season. Yeah, I actually do a bit of writing for um, every um, Nothing But Rugby League, and uh, they got all the different contributors and stuff to do their predictions for the year. And one of those predictions is always, obviously, who do you think is going to make the grand final? And I obviously put the Roosters because we are going to be in the grand final and we're going to win and that's fine. But we've obviously got to play somebody to win. So I looked through it and actually I was really a little bit torn with myself being a, a Roosters man because obviously we've got the rivalry with the Rabbits and I don't want to give them too much credit. But I went through Perso and I went, you know what? I, don't, I really don't think Penrith are going to do it. You know, it's really... It's 40-plus years since uh, the Sterlow, Kenny, Eels sides went that three-peat. It uh, doesn't happen in modern rugby league. A two-peat is really good going back-to-back. So I just don't think they're going to get to the grand final this year, Penrith, and I think that they've shown some vulnerability. We did the Penrith podcast the other day, and I said, look, they're still going to be a, a top-four side. They still could be a top-two, uh, even finish with the minor premiership. I just I don't think that they're going to go all the way. So I went, well, oh, who's the next best team? Sort of went, I'm still not 100% sold on Souths, but Roosters Souths grand final had a nice ring to it. So it pained me to do it, but I predicted. That'd be an absolute cracker, wouldn't it? If it's a semi-final from last year, is anything to go off? Yeah, and it's just one of those things with rugby league where the rugby league gods just seem to find the storylines for the finals. And it just it's just some sort of karma or fate where it just happens. And you can just see it happening, can't you? You can just see Roosters Souths grand final 
and it would be an absolute cracker. But that's actually my tip, early season tip. Roosters and South Grand Final. Or the South to finally get the better of Penrith in the prelim. Well, they're probably due to. I mean, I guess that's the other thing as well. If you've got a decent side that keeps making the, the preliminary finals, but is not necessarily going all the way too often, the the law of averages is probably going to help them out, and they're going to get through. So, I think that they've got a pretty good shot this year. But when we're having a look at, I mean, you mentioned the draw, and we'll get to that in a minute. But when we're having a look at the gains and losses for Souths, there isn't too many changes for Souths. So, I do think that some of the losses, like a uh, Mark Nichols could low-key hurt them a little bit because they're a bit short on middle experience. So, so Nichols, you know, isn't the greatest player in the world, but he's a pretty good teammate and he's a pretty good solid rock of that pack that's a bit of an unsung. And then the other others that went was Cody Nikarima, more of a utility, that's fine. And Jackson Paulo came to the Roosters, which is fine too. They've got plenty of outside backs. Not really any gains that are going to play first grade. So all in all, it's a pretty similar roster per se. So you expect pretty similar results, really. But the elephant in the room you already mentioned, so the draw, and especially for Supercoach, that's going to be a big deal. They don't have a buy early. They're one of the latest buys that you can have at round 16. So automatically you think that's good. The final run home is a, is a little bit sketchy because they've got the buy in round 16 and 20. So for that period of time, it's not going to be good to own South Sydney Rabbitohs. But normally when someone's got around 16 buy and super coach with the new format and the buy every week, you sort of go, well, I should get some of those guys in my team because I don't want to be sitting anyone. And unfortunately, it, it doesn't translate because their draw, as you mentioned, is quite difficult. They start off with the Sharks, the Panthers, the Roosters and Manly. And three out of those four are away, although I guess they're not going to be travelling too far because they're not getting on a plane. So there's that. But then the second month of the season, they hit the Storm, bit of reprieve versus the Dogs and the Dolphins, and then they hit the Panthers. It's you know, They're the only side, I believe, that plays the Panthers twice in the first two months. And they also play the Sharks and the Roosters and the Storm. So six out of those eight games, you could argue, are against potentially top four teams. It's uh, pretty terrible. And then you sort of go out of that and you go, well, surely they've got some more reprieve after the first couple of months. We can target some South Sydney Rabbits players a bit after. Round nine, they hit the Broncos away at Suncorp. And then they hit the Melbourne Storm again away in round 10. It's uh, Melbourne. It's a hideous start. <laughs> Melbourne twice, Penrith twice, Roosters once and Sharks once in the first 10 games we're hitting now. Then they've got the Tigers. Uh, the Eels, the Raiders, and the Titans, and the Dragons, and then their buy. So really, their month leading into their first buy in round 16 is what you're looking at for Supercoach. You, you, you're looking at that going, this is where they could go on a really good run. But that's halfway through the season, right? So all of a sudden, you, I'm looking at it going, even if I like South players, even though they don't have to draw, the, even though they don't have the buy until round 16, I kind of I only want to get them in for that big buy round. Um, and sort of target them around then or a couple of weeks before. I, uh, I'm i really quite put off by a lot of the attacking options with that draw. Yeah, it's a horrible draw. Um, we'll go through the players and what ones I reckon will perform better and ones that won't when we get to that. But it's it, as you touched on, it's just an awkward, even right through the season, when their draw finally opens up, it's in the middle of origin, and they get their two boys, three boys in that period. <laughs> and 
round 16, round 20, and round 26. So they got the bye in round 26 as well, which is not good for head-to-head players in the final round for head-to-head. And if you got, obviously, you want, normally you'd want to target South Guns and they're not going to play in the final. Um, it does open up. They've got Titans, Dragons, Cowboys, Warriors, Bulldogs, Broncos, Tigers, Sharks, Dragons, Newcastle, and then finish with the Roosters. So it finally opens up round 14. But the best players will be playing Oregon. So like your Ken Murray's, he got rested last year a couple of times during that period. Luttrell, you'd imagine he'd back in Oregon this year. Uh, it's just a very, very awkward draw for Supercoach. Yeah, it is. And it's hard to find an opportunity with it, to be honest, to start the season with round one. So let's get into the players first of all. Let's go through South's guns. And they've got half a dozen. They've got a lot of guns in this side for Supercoach. Latrell Mitchell, 889,100. That's because he averaged 84 and a half points last season. Phenomenal year from Latrell, obviously. It's a career best at 85 points a game, rounding it up. 2021, though, he went 82 points a game. And I think the last three years, obviously, the games played is a big deal. He only played 14 games last year, and that was always one of my concerns. You know, he did a, a really big average, but he did it only, you know, over almost half a season, basically. And then the year before, he went 17 games for his 82, which is a bit better. And then the year before that was 14 games again. So whether it's suspension or injury, he seems to keep catching games on the sideline. And that's a big deal. And I think that the flip side of that, though, is that the last two years, despite his terrible base and his workload that he normally has in a game being quite low, he's really solidified himself as an 80-plus elite super coach option, though. Because obviously before that, he was always that sort of 60 to 70 type of guy. But the last two years, going 82 and 85, the last two respective seasons on an average, you pretty much put him in the elite category now. I guess my concerns with him per so, and I do have a number of them, is he's obviously very expensive because he's coming off that career best 85 points per game. That's one thing. He's coming into a draw where you saw last year he was maybe match-up proof, where he went really, really well, didn't matter on the opposition. But in saying that, yeah, can he do that for the full season from the start? Because when I look at the first month of last season for him, he only averaged 53 points per game in his first four games. And you know, granted, that includes a game where he went off at 14 minutes. So if you take that out, he's still... 17, 18 points below his average across those first three games pretty easily. Um, but you know, the flip side of it is forget the fact that he's a 60-60 gun. 71% of the time he went 60-plus. 50% of the time he actually went 90-plus. And that is just ridiculous to get that consistency out of an outside back that totally relies on clutch attack because his raw base is putrid at 18. Even his base base attack only goes up to 38, which is far, far, far from elite. Um, but in the 17 games, including the finals, he actually had 20 try assists, second in South Sydney's side, and 31 line break assists, which was ridiculously far away from anyone else. Per game, he was easily one of the best that you could have for clutch attack. So it's a real conundrum, isn't it? Because he's been matchup proof a little bit last year. He's just got all this attack everywhere and all these big numbers to say that he's going to keep scoring well. And obviously his goal kicking as well to help that putrid base. But you just look at the draw and go, geez, can he really do it with that? Yeah, it's a good point you made too. With um, He missed out a fair bit of the early part of the season. So it's not only like he didn't average too badly against the sides last year, but a lot of it was sort of post-origin. So a lot of teams, the top teams had a lot of injuries and that sort of thing to take into account. But um, if we look at his numbers, seven games against the first, the, against the first five teams he plays, 
in the first five rounds this year, he averaged 70. Uh, against top eight sides last year in 10 games, he averaged 78. Post uh, seeing the hamstring whisperer, he came back and averaged 97.2 from round 14 to round 25. It's just nuts, as you said, like seven out of 10 games over 90. Surely that's not sustainable, that sort of attack. Well, yeah, and I guess that's the big thing, right? I mean, you were somebody who I know in the early iterations of your team with the team picker and so forth had Latrell in there. You had Latrell and Teddy. Have yeah. you managed? Have you managed to stay on the Latrell wagon, or have you jumped off? Uh, with the news turbo, looks like he's there around one at, at that price. He's that I just can't pass it up. Mm. And with um, Latrell only being fifteen percent owned, if he was to go off, he's not going to hurt you as much as not having Teddy. That's if Teddy goes off, at the high ownership who's got. Yeah, that's true as well. And geez, oh, geez, to be a hard watch against the Dolphins and the Warriors if you didn't have Teddy. It, it would be absolutely terrible. And I, I understand people potting with Latrell. I, I certainly think he's an option. Like if you, if you're sold on it, oh, for sure. But, you know, and he wants you want him as your second fullback. But I wouldn't pot against a Teddy. And you'd also need to get value elsewhere, which is where I think it makes Latrell really hard. Like you can obviously have Turbo and get the same output as Latrell potentially but significantly less money. Like we're talking over $300,000 less. So you're going to have to take that hit elsewhere and be able to balance your side out, aren't you? And that's that's going to be kind of difficult for some people. Yeah, that's the thing. If you go on Teddy and the Trill, you sort of, you, you can't really go Cleary, Hines, Grant and Munster as well type of thing. So you're sacrificing one of those sort of guys or even a Cam Murray in second row. Mm, well, I'm, I'm staying off the Trill as well, like per so. I just think that there's, a, there's better value. Uh, and look, when you're talking about guys that absolutely were clutch attack kings, you know, Latrell is almost $900,000. For $740,000, you could have someone like Drinkwater, who is the opposite of Latrell as far as he has an amazing draw and he carves up amazing draws. So, I mean, it's it doesn't sound right to me, per so in a rugby league sense, you know, you'd be mad to say Drinkwater's better than Latrell because he's not. Latrell's a far better player. But in super coach sense, you know, you're saving. $150,000 plus and you've got a, a, a one of the best draws in the comp one of the worst, it, it just makes more sense to me to go after clutch attack that way if you're going to go for the clutch attack, guys. Yeah, I agree. All right, well, let's move on from Luttrell. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he you know, still averages 80-odd for the season, but I think that he's going to have to do that with a big back, back half of the season again, and he's always obviously going to have those... Those injury problems too. I mean, look, we will move on in a second, but I will bring up one other point because I'm curious as to what you think. I always tend to think as well with Latrell that I'm a little bit worried at the start of the season and I don't want it to come out as Barnsley's bashing Latrell again because I don't mean to. He's he's an elite talent. <laughs> I really love him on the football field. I think that he's you know, got some amazing skills and he's great for the game. But in saying that, everybody always knows the elephant in the room is the fact that Latrell doesn't seem to be in great shape every preseason. He doesn't really seem to push himself through and turn up round one in peak physical fitness. He certainly seems gassed at the start of the season sometimes. So to me, he's, you know, his slow start last year mimics most of his career. I think that he's one of those guys that really works his way into both form and fitness and they kind of come together. So for me, it's that sort of, you know, six to eight weeks in that I think that we start to really see Latrell really blossom and be fully fit. Do you, do you think that's a bit of a, a myth or do you think that it might be the case with Latrell that he's a bit of a slow starter because of his fitness and his pre-seasons that he has? And certainly been that way in previous years, that's for sure. Not so sure this year, but um, 
it, with that draw, it's another factor on it. If he isn't at 100% and there's a bit of match fitness in him, then that draw's not going to really help his clutch attack too much, is it? No, that's true. Look, Damien Cook, um, I'm kind of excited to talk about Cookie because he is going through this preseason a little bit unheralded. I feel a bit sorry for him because everyone's talking Grant and then if they're not going for expensive guys, they're talking Cheese or even, you know, the the mid-options of the Boyds and stuff like this. Very quietly, Cook is 790700 so he's not cheap, but only in 4% of sides. And he's coming off a season where he averaged over 75 points per game. He had an exceptional season. He's actually bucked the last two years. So I think all of us kind of thought the last couple of years were a little bit worried. Um, Certainly under Bennett, we wanted to see him run more and stuff. But 2020, uh, he had 70 points per game. 2021, he had 66 points per game. And that was actually four years in a row that he declined. Uh, 2018, 19, 20, he was 70 plus, and 2021 was the first time he went in the 60s. And I think a lot of us kind of said, look, he's going to be a good player, but he's a 60s guy now. You know, he's 32 years of age this season. He's he's just declining, and that's fine. He's still really good. 2022, 75 points per game. Uh, went back up to just about what he did in 2019, and it was really quite phenomenal what he managed to do last year. He had a 50 raw base and a 62 base base attack. Now, when you're having a look at Cook's numbers, that's the best that he's done since 2018. It's also the most tries he's scored in his career. Eight tries. His second best was actually five. I was quite surprised when I was looking back at his tries per so because most of his seasons are two, three, four. And then he's got eight tries last year. Um, 80% of the time he went 60 plus. That's another career best. But 60% of the time he's actually a 70 plus scorer. And really, if you discount the first couple of weeks of the season, he was even better. It was actually towards 78 points per game. So, I mean, he had an amazing season and no one's talking about Damien Cook. He's fallen off the face of the earth, hasn't he? <laughs> in as far as in the supercoach world, he had an outstanding season last year. He's a forgotten man this season at uh, 3.6% ownership. I think he should be a fair bit more owned, closer to what Grant is. There's not a lot between them, really. But it, I suppose people are turned off by that first. Um, early draw in the, against those five teams they play from rounds one to five this year he averaged 63.6 last year against top eight sides from last season he averaged 71.11 so it is a little bit lower than what his um, output was over the whole season but when um, Latrell came back from the, the hammy whisperer last year from round 14 to round 25 he averaged 80.6 yeah, and I guess that's one of the things too. Like maybe a lot of these guys are going to be relying on Latrell because if Latrell's on fire and he's playing well from the start and regardless of the opposition, there's going to be a lot of points in this South Sydney side. And I think for people like Damien Cook, it probably opens up for him as well. Um, so, you know, that's one thing. The other thing too that I couldn't get out of my mind when I was looking at the 4%, I thought that Cook was absolutely outstanding in the Charity Shield game. He's he's running like he he ran the ball a heap of times. He had a couple of really nifty um, try assists and line break assists. If oh, I don't remember seeing him doing that in the preseason or even at the start of a season, running as much as what he was, and he was just I know it was his dragons, but he seemed to be finding holes everywhere. So certainly you sort of think oh, the narrative that you're starting to build in your head is well, when Latrell's in the side and they've got their full team on the park, they're going to have all this attack going on out the back with Latrell and Cody. 
it's probably going to open up a bit for for Damian Cook and give him a bit of space too. So I actually wouldn't be surprised if Damian Cook's a bit of a sneaky pot at 4% because we've seen that he could actually do it. I'm obviously completely scared off by the draw though, and that's going to be a common theme in the podcast, unfortunately. But I wouldn't. I don't. I think it would be hard to talk anyone out of Damien Cook if they were if they're going to choose an expensive gun pod based off last year. You know, would you talk them out of doing that? No, absolutely not. If you decide to pick him over a Grant, if you ran Cook and Cheese or something like that, I we wouldn't be pushing back on you at all. He he looked out. He had a blinder in that Charity Shield. I know it was only the Dragons and the Charity Shield, but Jizzy looked good. And um, you can sort of run with the narrative too that he's going to be a little bit dirty this year. I think he's got a point to prove not making the um, the World Cup side and the room like getting put back to the bench in Origin talk that he might even get picked this year. So I think he's he'll have a bee in his bonnet. I can't believe that he didn't get picked in that World Cup squad. Like I understand, like you know Ben Hunter's the utility and stuff, but it's a pretty big squad. Like, did, yeah. did, didn't you think that he should have been picked in there? I was shocked that he wasn't there. In that, in that, what was it, 24 man squad? They couldn't find room for him. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, it was, it probably hurt that, uh, that Mao picked a couple of his favorites. And one of those being, you know, I'm a very vocal non supporter of Daily Cherry Evans <laughs> getting picked. And, I, you know, it's not Daily's fault, but, you know, I said on a couple of the Talking Footy podcasts last year, his, his final third of the season, he played really poorly. And he, he never should have been even considered as a potential incumbent because he just played that badly. Uh, and to me, you know, Ben Hunt was your backup half. And if not Nico Hines, who didn't even make the squad, you know, I'd, it, it just didn't make much sense. But we'll say that for the talk and footy rants in those podcasts. Cam Murray, he is actually a lot more owned than what I thought per so. I was really, really surprised. 31%. And he seems to be jumping an extra percent every day for the last week. 31%. Yeah, I just had a look then and 31% was shocked. <laughs> 749,200. He is the premium second row forward now. Uh, 71.2 average last year. And he did that. I, I'll give you an amazing stat. I know that you love your stats. How is this? He averaged exactly 61 base base attack for three years in a row. That is pretty amazing. That's uncanny. <laughs> and obviously it's really strong too, um, but his minutes have been up and down a little bit, 65, 62, 67 minutes, but it doesn't matter. He still comes out with 61 base base attack. He he does not move. And this is one of the things with, with Cam Murray and when you're talking forwards, a forward like Cam Murray isn't affected by the draw. You know, they're going to get their numbers anyway. And Murray has shown that throughout, the, well, throughout his career, really. So uh, the other thing that I don't think a lot of people are going to really notice. He's on a 71 average, and that's what he's priced at. He actually had a game where he lasted one minute for one point in the last round of the season. So that was, he didn't play that game. He got knocked out in the first hit up or second hit up or whatever it was. If you take that out, he's actually a 75 average. So to get four points of value in there for someone as consistent as what he is, he went 70, 70% of the time he went 60 plus he barely ever gave a bad score, right? And one of the things that I think we, none of us thought about Cameron Murray at the start of his career, we kind of thought he was just a, a big worker, okay, he can get the attack. He only scored three tries last year, so there's still room for him to improve in that. But he had a 129-point explosion versus the Roosters, which only included one try. And he's had some big scores before. He had a 130-point explosion versus the New Zealand Warriors towards the end of the year too. 
So he can have those bigger type of tons. Uh, and he's done 120 plus a few times now. So he should be highly owned. He is one of my favorite forwards at his price. So, you know, should he be 31%? And is it one of those ownership percentages that you go, oh, maybe I should go away from it? Yeah, what I said, I was shocked at his ownership. It's not because he's the bad option by any means, but um, I just thought at that price, at the start of the season, people would probably be inclined to stay off him until they got the money to upgrade one of their mids or something to him. But um, it, yeah, it's uh, where was I? Seven games last year in against the first five teams he plays this year, uh, minus that one where he got KO'd against the Chooks in the last round. He averaged eighty point five seven. Against top eight sides, he averaged 77.33. So that just reiterates you, what you said about his fixture-proof as far as it goes, playing the top side. So a draw, what the Bunnies have got, is not really going to affect him too much. Um, it's hard to find anything negative about him, really, except if you're trying to squeeze claims at the start of the season. Even um, the old hamstring whisperer average again, he averaged 79 since Latrell came back from that. So it's all around the same. It doesn't change no matter what. I mean, he's a gun. It's just whether you can fit him in to start the season. It's amazing consistency that he's got. It really is. And it's crazy to me that we can actually find value in him because like, like we both said, that, that one-minute game puts four points of value into him straight away. Yeah. But And even the um, he got rested after, against the Titans and he played... Uh, 46 minutes or something, scored 34. So you take that out as well as that one, the average 77.8 from his other 18 games. Yeah. He's an absolute <laughs> gun. Four tries last year is the least that he's scored since 2018 as well, by the way. So, I mean, it's not like he can't get an extra try. And then if he gets one extra line break try, then we're all of a sudden talking about maybe, you know, six six plus points of value in there when you're already getting that type of consistency. Kamnari is probably the best the best forward option out of anybody, I'm going to say. Um, I don't own him at the moment, though, because I just can't afford to. Um, I've certainly got some other guys in there that are a bit expensive. But I will say, I did think about going up from a Fafida to a Cook Perso. Uh, the ownership stopped me because I sort of thought, well, with a good draw for Fafida and such low ownership compared to Murray, maybe you know I, I save the extra 90K or whatever it is and I just try and try and get a run that way in the early season. But, geez, Murray's hard to go past. That's just, Yeah, that's the exact same way I've gone as well with Fafita instead of Murray, even though I'm going to say that it won't surprise me at all if Murray averages 80 this season. Yeah, it's uh, look, it, it's a fantastic option. Um, I'm going to have to consider it closer to kickoff. And I think, per se, just to finish on, on Murray, he's also probably the poster child for the anti-going-all-mids in the second row. And like, I'm, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I support every type of strategy as long as it obviously works and there's a lot of different ones. And I'm not going to say that it's not going to work just to have all low-priced or mid-second row forwards because there's a lot obviously available there. But you know, having someone like Cam Murray in there along with those guys, that can really get on top of that crowd that's just going all, all mids or lower-end guys because you have him in there, you can still fit those other slots of five with secondary forwards that are low to mid-priced. And it makes it, one, really easy to fit someone like Cameron Murray in because of all those options in secondary forward. But two, it it makes sure that you've got a really high foundation in there to start with with Murray. So I actually really like those team builds. And um, I think it's a lot better than just stacking the secondary forward with no stars at all. But how do you feel about that? 
Yeah, I guess that explains his 31% ownership, doesn't it? I'd say a lot of those sides that are going heavy on the um, what seems to be a plethora of mid and cheap options in the second row this year, they're just locking one spot up with the best and going from there, which I've, I still haven't ruled out dropping um, one of my five eights down to a value if, if a Katoa gets picked or I might just put Schuster back in there as a second option and then upgrade someone to a Murray. I haven't ruled out that yet. I've got four gun halves at the moment, so... I can possibly drop one and go down that way. Yeah, I'm. I mean, the other. I'm just so torn on it. He's such a good option, and I can't get over the fact that he's still only in his mid twenties. Like he's 25 at the moment. <laughs> he's about near his prime. He's 25. You know, it's it's crazy. I'm probably going to end up having to go in. Colin Matangi. He's another back row option that the Bunnies have. Who I actually jumped on last year. It was one of my success stories outside of the tragedies. And Keon was pretty pretty awesome. He averaged 67 points yeah, a game. Yeah, the best of him, yeah. That was well up from his 60 points per game in 2021. And it's it's always nice, per so, when a player does exactly what you're projecting them to do. You know, like I sort of said, look, I'm going to jump on big Keon as a pod. I liked what I saw. I think there was inklings of him being a really good player. And, you know, he was, he was pretty good value. And I thought that I was going to get 10 to 15% out of him. It all happened, and it was just such a joy to own him. Fast forward a year, 701000 now, 2% ownership. He's certainly still the pod that he was a year ago, but he's a hell of a lot more expensive. So it makes it quite difficult at his price point this year. Loved, I absolutely loved owning him last year. But one of the things that happened, like we saw him be able to attack quite well. He got seven tries last year, which is sort of where I thought he was going to get to. His base was raw at 47 which is good for an edge-back rower. And his base-base attack brought him up to 58 points per game. So he had a, a really good floor. One of the big things that I noticed with him last year, mate, is I really obviously was running him home, yelling at him to get over the line for these tries because they kept hitting him and it was great and he was just a wrecking ball at times. But the problem was when he didn't get a try, he was just really solid. It's a very different from a Cameron Murray, right? Because when a Cameron Murray doesn't get a try, he, he still gives you a 70-plus point score, 70 to 80. Whereas with Colin Matungi, if you look at his games without a try, he scored 55. Very stock standard, didn't have a lot in it. When you look at his tries, his try games, which was seven, he actually scored 95 a game. So when he scores a try, he just eats up a heap of tackle breaks, a line break every time, and it just becomes almost a ton of score. The problem is that it's feast or famine because it's a really, you know, average 50s or it's a great 90s, 100s. And, you know, that's, I guess, the problem with Keon because most forwards are not relying on the draw. He's going to throw up a lot of 55s, I think, during the first couple of months of the season. So I couldn't go near him at 700. Oh, I'm scared. <laughs> I saw this a year, like last year I started with him on the way he finished the previous year in 2020 and he absolutely killed me. And then got rid of him, and then I watched him go on that run past Origin, and I was like, ah, he's a bastard. <laughs> but, um, so, so I avoided him a little yeah. bit, and then I, then I got, him, got him during the year, and I just loved it, you know. I think I'm pretty sure that I got him after the 13 buy, because obviously he played the, the next buy. So that um that Gold Coast Titans game, he hit 69, and then just went on a nice run for the second half. Oh, he killed it from there. But uh, 12 games out of 24. You got only over 60. So it's interesting that pre-origin in the 12 games pre-origin last year, he only averaged 52.17. And with that draw, I can pretty well see a similar repeat and then see him going nuts again 
after that late draw when they start to play the lesser sides. Uh, first 17 games last year, he averaged 51.7. And then post-origin for around 18 to 25, he averaged 79.5. He just absolutely exploded. And that would be on that run where you had him. But the first 17 games of a 51 average, it reads putrid. And then all of a sudden, he just went nuts. Yeah. Do you, do you think some of that might be that Lachlan Elias started to get used to, you know, being a first-grade halfback and started to find his way? Because he did find him for a few passes there to put him through and stuff. Yeah, he got better as the year went on, and so did their draw too. I mean, that's going to be a similar repeat this year, I think. Yep. Well, I do like Big Keon in draft because I think that he'll be largely um, left alone for some of the bigger name options. So probably the the later sort of middle rounds, he'll probably go in draft, and that's probably a decent spot for him. Alex Johnston, 68 points a game. In the big six again year of 2021, he went 73 a game, which is ridiculous. And we all said, oh, he's not going to be able to back that up. He didn't, but he came a lot closer than I think most (laughs) of us thought at 68. Uh, I I didn't think that he was going to get, you know, within 10 of that 73 uh, at 68. You look at how he did it. Like, it's, it's just remarkable. He ended up scoring the last three years, including finals, 30 tries, 30 tries, 23 tries. So a 1.2 try per game strike rate over the last three years, including the finals games. And all those seasons were above one try a game. Last year, he didn't go more than two games in a row, which only happened once, by the way, where he didn't get a try. Uh, but I guess for Supercoach per se, one of the big things that happened for him when I'm looking at it is his base attack basically uplifted the last two years by 10 to 12 points compared to what he was doing before. So his his tackle breaks and his offloads to a much lesser extent really went up. And that's what's helped him because his base has always been sort of 18, 19. He's always had a putrid base. But last year, his base attack was 26, which, you know, the last two years he's been able to maintain somehow. And he still maintained the same tries that he scored in the six six again era of 30 in the last two years. It's just, it's remarkable. But I feel like, you know, last year, we need to give him an apology because we sort of said you get nowhere near it and he got within five points of 73. But this year, I'm going to say the same thing. You know, he's in 6% of teams, which seems high to me because 713,000, you, you sort of know that he's going to go over for tries because he's shown that every every game, even if it's a hard game, he's still going to score with this draw. And that's almost matchup proof in a way as far as try scoring. But the try scoring doesn't necessarily get him the good enough scores for Supercoach, does it? So it's 713,000. You know, I don't want to be getting a score of 35 with a try, like in round three last year, a score of 51 with a try in round eight. You've got all these scores littered that are in the 30s or 40s or 50s where he scored one of his tries. So just because he's matchup proof as far as being able to score against everybody doesn't mean that he's super coach proof. No, he's an interesting one, OJ. Um, I certainly didn't expect him to get anywhere near back to that outlier, outlier season of 21. But he bloody nearly did. I um, ended up picking him up the same time I picked Latrell up when he came back from the hamstring whisperer last year, and I had both of them beside, and it was one. It was a good, good thing he went nuts. That was a good pickup of those two, mate. Yeah, and then like I, was, I said to myself, the same thing this year. I said with that draw, can't go near him to start with, and I'm still not going to. But I've looked at his numbers a bit more, and against the again those first five games they have, he averaged 61.5 against those the Sharks, Panthers, Roosters, Manly, and Storm last year which is not that far below his average. Um, and, yeah, 73.36 the average when Mitchell came back from the States after 
the old hamstring whisperer did his magic. So, and with Latrell Mitchell in the 14 games he played last year, he averaged 68.4, which is slightly higher than his season average. So he could surprise a lot of people, including myself. I'm, I just can't fork out that sort of 713K and he comes out and goes 30-30. I just think that it doesn't make any sense. Look, I think that a lot of people are probably going the antipod of Holmes, which I don't necessarily not support because Holmes is so heavily owned. Uh, but I just don't think that Alex Johnson's a guy to do it with because it's just too hard for him to score massive uh, with the draw that he's got. He'll still score tries, but it's just not going to be big enough. So I just, there's other guys that you could do it with, um, like even like a Nick Meany goal kicking or something like that, playing fullback at um, sort of 50K less. And obviously some of these other options that are there, I just, I think that you could probably go elsewhere if you want to any pod homes. And surely somewhere along the line with that, if you're taking the whole, pre-origin draw for the bunnies you're going to be able to pick up oj closer to 500k that'd be the time to pounce on him that's one of the big things with aj isn't it you mentioned picking him up during the year last year there's always a time where he's a lot cheaper so the other back in this south sydney side that is very relevant as a super coach gun is um graham campbell graham came in and averaged 63 points a game last year that's a career best the last three years he's gone 61 56 and 63 Anyone who's ever listened to this podcast knows I'm a massive Campbell Graham fan. He's probably my favourite rabbit in that side alongside Murray. Um, He is by far my favourite back that they've got. I just love him as a player. I think he's fantastic. And for super coach, he comes in and he's going to cost you a $664,000 price tag. He's only in 2% of teams. One of the best things about Campbell Graham last year, a few years, I've gotten him in a number of times for different runs. And it's been great because he's always a pod person. Uh, and he can always, you know, he's always reasonably expensive because he doesn't fluctuate heaps, but you can generally get him at an okay price compared to what he can go on. But the thing that I always love about Campbell Graham, we talk about the guys in super coaching, your center wing that have those seasons where they've just got the really high um, base base attack, the Toto seasons, uh, the Toto light seasons that I'd call Daniel Tupo seasons. <laughs> Um, the the no for Luma seasons of old and, and these guys that really have that high base base attack. Campbell Graham had a 37 raw base last year, which is really good. And by the way, beats a lot of edge back rowers that start and play eight units. <laughs> and uh, he had a 17 point per game base attack. So when you put that together, it's a, a pretty good score as a baseline. One of the things that happened to him last year, though, is that he didn't score as many tries as he could have. Now, he ended up only going over the stripe five times. He didn't get any doubles. Uh, I remember in 2020 when I got him on for a run, he had like two or three doubles in six games or something like that. Um, He was playing some of those on the wing, granted, but he's still done it at centre before. I think there's actually room for improvement with his scoring. Uh, And I do think that a bit match-up proof because he can definitely still give you, you know, a 55 55 baseline without getting any attack. Uh, one of those rare backs that can do that for you. But unfortunately, it does mean that he's not going to get those bigger games. And we saw that last year. He only had one ton with 119 points because he just doesn't get across the stripe enough. He could improve on last year's try scoring per so. If they had a better draw, uh, I think that he'd be half interesting as a pod because you could argue that he could go up again to a 68 type of average and, and be really solid floor. But just with the draw, I guess you, you can't be bothered. I, I can't be bothered going for the floor if I know that I'm not going to get any ceiling. 
Yeah, I, I started with him last year as a pod in the centres, and he was pretty handy. He averaged 65.75 pre-origin, just so consistent. He was just always around that 60-70 mark without any big scores aside from that 119. Um, and then first game after origin, he scored 95 as well, and that took his average to, at that time, 68. And then he just fell off a cliff after he got injured. He didn't really do much from there. But um, I do like him. I just can't find a way to squeeze him in to start the season. But um, he could be a good pod. Yeah, he could be, because when he does get a try, he does go big. And look, he only had four scores that were below 50 points, which for a guy that played most of the year and is a centre wing, is pretty decent as far as fours go. Just There's just that many options in your centre wing at the moment at that 660 price tag. I think you just got to go elsewhere. And unfortunately, we're going to just put it on repeat, broken record. The draw just makes it untenable for him to be in my side. Yeah. Fallen guns. Cody Walker, mate. I'll just say the first portion of Cody Walker's gun status super coach career, I avoided and avoided and avoided. And every time I've gotten on since the last three years, he's absolutely burnt me. It has been a terrible relationship with me and Cody. 57 points a game last year. Massive fall from grace. 2021, 84 points a game. Almost a 30-point drop-off. And even when you look at 2020, 74, even if you go back the years before, 65 and 61, this is his worst season and his first season in a long time that he hasn't been a gun. I would normally look at this with some players per so and go, well, there's a lot of value here. He's only he's only at 57 points per game. He could get to 65 pretty easily. Problem with Cody Walker is it, he's 33 years old. And to me, he looks like he's on the downturn. At 600,000, I'm actually surprised that he's 6% owned because one of the good things with him a few years ago was he'd be 2 or 3 or 4% owned and you jump on and nobody else would have him and he'd get some big scores. 6% owned is actually higher than I thought he would be. And I really think that I saw him declining last year. He has actually halved his attacking stats last year. His clutch attack was 22 in the six again, six again year, it was 46. Yeah, that is a massive difference. And I just think there's a lot of lot of red flags with Cody. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't go near him. I started with him last year. for We got all those extra boosts. So I thought, I'm going to blow one here because their draws are pretty horrible. But they had the Broncos in round one. And I think we all underestimated the, how much the Broncos improved. I thought he could have done a number on him there. But he scored 29 or something ridiculous. Um. Yeah, it just sort of fell off a cliff, and well, that six point three percent ownership should be zero point three percent ownership. Really, with that draw, he's one that is going to be very draw dependent this year, and that draw is just horrible. He might be a guy you could pick up really cheap for about round fourteen when they go on a bit of a run. Yeah, I'm not even sure that I want him. Um, I'll probably look. They're going to play the first big buy, right? So I think that that's that's the target and the value for Cody. But did did you see him drop off? Like, do you think at his age and what we saw last year, he's actually on the decline? Yeah, you did to a bit, but it's sort of when you look at that 2021 season, you sort of it's, it's just such an outlier of a season with the way the rules were and with COVID and all the rest of it. But um, he definitely wasn't as dynamic last year, that's for sure. Um, he looked pretty good in that charity shield too this year, but anyway, that was only the Dragons. I couldn't go near him for super catch. As you see, 33, he is getting towards the end of his career now. That'd be a, a a pretty brave person to suggest he get back up to a 70-point average. Yeah, and the thing that just killed it for me as well, another number to finish on Cody, he 
Still had, in total games, including finals, 23 try assists to, to come second in their try assists in the South Sydney side. Um, and he also had line break assists at 25. So it's not like his clutch attack stats weren't massive. He, he still had really big elite clutch attack stats and it's still only equated to a 57-point average. It's just, it's just not enough. Big Ball's pod... I really loved this guy last year and I just I couldn't do it. I just enjoyed watching him. Big Tatola. I I thought that he was really phenomenal the second half of the year, really came into his own. He's gonna come in as a front row forward option, one of these many that are in that four hundred to five fifty price range that we're trying to decide per so who's gonna actually step up and who's gonna end up giving us some value as well as maybe even being um, a new keeper that they haven't been before. Five hundred and thirty-five thousand. He's sort of towards the higher end of that bracket, but certainly within 50K of a lot of options that people are, are jumping on. And he's only a 2% ownership. He is only a young guy still, so you can certainly make the argument that he kind of came into his own and he's going to keep improving. Average 46 minutes a game for his 51 points. And I, I think that's the key for me and why I'm sort of looking at him a little bit. He only cracked 50 minutes twice in his first 11 games, um, and that was a 53 average. But he also had a one-minute game in there. So very similar to Cam Murray, where you take that one-minute game out, you've got a couple of extra points in there. Seven of his last 10 games, though, he went 50-plus. And when he was playing 50-plus minutes, he averaged 64.4. And certainly the second half of the season, it looked like that was South's plan for him anyway. Now, fast forward to now, I'm looking at the fact that Nichols isn't there. I'm looking at the fact that Havili is out for a few months now, going, well... They're going to play a, a tough on the bench. Normally, you know, Havili would come on and play middle and be the utility, but he'd still play 13 or whatever. It's uh, it's now looking a little bit thin there. So certainly if they were happy last year to play in 50-plus minutes for the final 10 games of the season, they're probably going to do that anyway. But now with all this, maybe he averages 55 minutes a game. I think that he's got the motor to do it. Do you see some value there? Because he even got over for a few tries last year, which I was surprised about four tries for Big Totola. There's definitely some upsides there if he's going to see those minutes, that's for sure. Um, just depends how, how fit he comes out. He's one of these guys that sort of starts a bit slowly and finds his match fitness through the season, like your Papali's. And those guys always used to do. But, um, yeah, no, Hammy Selly, no uh, Havili. If Taft's on the bench, I've seen some the round one sides being picked uh, with it saying they're going to have Mamazoulis. And um, Taff on the bench, if that was the case, he'd be all over to Tyler. He'd be playing big minutes. I don't think that will be the case, but it'd be more likely a Mawali or a Shaq Mitchell or someone comes on to the bench who, I don't know how big that minutes they're going to start playing either. So everything sort of goes towards Tyler getting 50-odd minutes. Yeah, I'm wondering if he's sort of 55 to 58 is sort of the range that I think you'd you'd hope for because... That would probably put him at gun territory. He should be like a 60-plus sort of guy. And it's only nine points of value per se, but I guess if you've got that solid score in front row forward, it's, it's possibly worth it. Around 16, around 25 last year, he averaged 64.4 playing those sort of minutes. Yeah. So if you could match that again, then yeah, you are getting a guy that's a bit underpriced, and especially at front row forward. That could be a sneaky little pickup. Yeah, he's not going to be picked up by anyone either, and he just... The tries that he scored, it was quite funny because he scored those from round 17 onwards. He actually scored in four out of five games in a row from round 17 to 21. Yeah. It was crazy. <laughs> the big fella just kept going over and over and over. It was, uh... But look, they were using him near the line. 
and I certainly think Cook hit him a couple times in the line, and it looked yeah. really good. So to me, you'd hope that they sort of don't go away from that because it seemed to be effective. And if that happens, he will get four or five tries again. And if he manages to do that at the start of the season, one of the things that I think does happen in rugby league sometimes on these tougher draws is that the, uh, the, the, the side like South Sydney has to work a lot harder and they might be pushing through their backs and their backs and not being able to find anywhere. And then all of a sudden they end up getting one of those forward tries through the middle. Uh, and that happens sometimes in those tougher draws. They just sort of have to grind out and find these tries. Uh, it might happen with Totola. He might have some um, some big base games as well to start with. So I don't mind him as a pod. I actually think that he could outdo a lot of the other 500k plus guys that are in front row forward. Controversial discussion though. And I don't think it's that controversial really, but we talk about percentages that you get surprised about per so. Lachlan Elias, I think he's a massive mistake if anyone's got him in their side, but I just sort of thought nobody will have him in the side because there's that many good options between half and 5'8 for Supercoach. And we've even got some cheaper ones as well that you could have in there. 7% of teams have got Lachlan Elias in their side. Now, you talk about... Yeah, that's... How? <laughs> that shocked me. <laughs> I, I was speechless. I actually reloaded my page and went, it can't be right, maybe it's a one. Um, no, 7%. And I just, I didn't understand. 363,700, he's obviously cheap, but he never looked good last year as far as Supercoach goes. I think he improved a little bit as a player. Uh, but, geez, there was 9% of his games, he went 60-plus for a start. And his best score all year was a 66. And, oh, sorry, 74 and a 66. Those were his two best scores and the only two times he went 60-plus. And he obviously had a litany of games where he went terribly. He had one game where it was a minus one for 29 minutes. Um, he did have a game where he scored zero for one minute. It seemed like there was all these South players last year per se that were getting knocked out the first minute. Yeah. But um, look, I just, uh, even with that, like you might say, oh, you know, you take that, take that minus one game out in 29 minutes, take the other injury affected one minute game out. I get that. That makes sense. And that might give him, you know, an average of 46 or something. But then you look at the draw per so and you go, well, that's just going to completely take out that value because he's a guy that's going to be totally reliant on attack, 16 base, four base attack in 74 minutes a game. He's probably going to score a heap of 25s in that first couple of months. I just think it's such a massive mistake just in a vacuum, just like Cornelius, let alone the fact that you compare their draw or everybody else that you could buy instead. Yeah, oh, surely no one that listens to this podcast has got Lachlan Elias in their side. That would shock me even more than the 7.1% that do have him. 7,190 teams have got him. There must be a lot of kids that support the Rabbitohs and have started playing Supercoach, I think. I mean, he could get better, to be fair, but it just you'd also have to say with him too that he's going to have Latrell Mitchell in there from round one. Uh, Damian Cook, we mentioned how good he looked in Charity Shield. Cody Walker... You know, he's obviously going to get his as far as the attacking stats because he did last year. There's just no there's no room for clutch attack for, for Lachlan Elias. He's like fourth in the pecking order in that spine as far as, you know, playmaking duties go. So I just, that's not going to change, right? It's, surely he's not going to overtake a Cody Walker and start stealing some clutch attack. Yeah, I just, I just couldn't go near him. Couldn't recommend him to anyone. Some of the other cheapies and mid-price options, I think there's probably two to focus on to finish off on the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Isaac Thompson, uh, he's in quite a few teams at the moment. And I understand it. I don't have him at the moment. He's 336,700. So he's right in that spot of 
all those guys that are sort of, you know, 280 to, to 380 in that price range where there's a heap of fullbacks and a heap of centres like the Rima Smiths of the world and stuff. And he comes in at 15% ownership. Uh, look, he averaged 64 points a game last year, but it was only on two games. So that's why he's still only 336,000. The problem is that we haven't seen much of Isaac Thompson at all. Um, both of his games last year looked good, in fairness. He scored 17. Uh, he scored um, two tries, I should say, and 73 points and 55 points in each of those games. Base raw was 28. That's quite good. Uh, everything looked decent for Isaac Thompson, but we have only seen two games of him per so. And I guess at that 336k price tag, um, I think that I would be looking there if they had a good draw. But for someone like him that we haven't seen much of, you really want to make sure they had some opportunity for attack. And I'm just, I'm not really seeing it, um, especially when you compare some of the other options. Like, you know, CNK um, hasn't got a great draw either, but at least he's going to be playing fullback and you know what you're going to get. And he's the same type of price. There's some cheaper guys as well. I understand looking at Isaac Thompson. Uh, do you have him in your side though? Because I kind of steered clear and went, I think I'm going to jump on these other ones instead. No, I don't have him. Um, two red flags. Won the draw and uh, Tane Milne suspended for round one. So, what's to say Milne doesn't come back into that side? I'd rather I'd rather see Thompson rack up a few games first, and if he's going well, he's the guy you can easily bring in for someone. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there might be a chance that he gets that spot on merit, but even still, um, yeah, I, I think we've already spoken about the fact that Alex Johnson scored thirty tries last year, and when you're looking at their top try scorers, it's not really their centers. Um, Campbell Graham didn't get a hell of a lot of tries either. So, yeah, I, I'm not too sure on Thompson. I think that I'd rather some of the others. I mean, when you're having a look at actual center options, would you go Remus Smith over him? Uh, probably not Remus. I'm a bit off Remus, but um, I think he's a bit trappish myself. I've I've gone Tommy Talia instead of Thompson. I don't like any of these mid-range fullbacks, your Hammers, your Pernams, your CNKs. I'm steering away from all of those guys. See, I don't like any Sloans. of the centers, so we're, we're opposites in that, except I don't like any of them really, but you've got to pick some of them. No, you've got to have someone. But on the plus side, there does seem to be a lot of cheapies coming in, so we could end up with four or five bottom dollar cheapies at centre wing come next Tuesday. Yeah, so I guess that's an interesting question to put to you with um, Thompson Per. So I'm... Like, I'm a bit worried even if there is four or five cheapies of putting them all in because then obviously you've got to play them a little bit. Do you think that it's worth spending the extra money on one or two of those spots and, like, for going like a boss stock and stuff like this that are just, just going to pop up for buying extra points at a 300, 350K guy? Or do you reckon that the, the difference is going to be minimal between them and you're happy to play pay more play more of those cheapies in your centre wing? I reckon you play a bit of Russian roulette with those cheapies and play one or two of them each week, but I've gone down the route of having two decent centre wings in Holmes and Tupo to start with, and then I've gone pretty well dirt cheap with the rest. You've gone Toops, mate. I was looking at Toops' ownership when I put him in my side for five minutes. I was like, who's this other bloke that owns Tupo? <laughs> He's there. <laughs> That'd be me. I, I, get, I end up picking him up every year. He always does a good job. He mightn't stay on my side too long, but just... I want a piece of that first couple of round draw from the Roosters and then when they got the buy, I might slip him to a Toto or a Campbell Graham or maybe one of the Sharks starting the Immortales or someone like that starting to look like they're good when their draw opens up. 
Yeah, I, I just want sort of round four. Someone you can there's... trade him out pretty easily with that buy. Yeah, to a, to probably one of the sharks. Actually, that's probably the way I'll go. Nice. Well, look, the other uh, cheapy option to have a look at is a Ford, and that is Marley. He is coming in with very little career experience, two games in 2021 and 12 games in 2022, 28 and 22 point averages for Supercoach. Last year, his minutes were only 21 per game. We spoke about um, Havili being out. You mentioned Sele, which is a really good point as well. I forgot about him. Uh, there's obviously some bench spots available and some bench minutes available. Nichols is out from that starting side. They've, they've got middles that are gone, three of them, in fact. So we spoke about Totola probably getting some extra minutes. When you're looking at Big Davey, he's pretty cheap for a front row forward. He's down at the base price of down at the almost base price of two thirty four eight hundred. Eighteen percent of teams own him. I'm always saying in all these podcasts, per so the the bench forwards can be so bad for you, but. You know, is he one of those exceptions? Is he someone who can be not quite a slower burn because he's priced at 21 minutes and he might get 35 or 40 minutes? You know, is that going to be the case because of their low middles? Yeah, I'm taking a punt that he, he'll see 30-odd. I've got him as my fourth front row forward at the moment. It's a pretty putrid position. Um, there's certainly a fair bit of upside with him. They've had some wraps on him for a few years. They've taken, uh, taken things slow. As far as getting him into the side, I think this year's his year. Um, with Mark Nichols going, I think he probably takes his spot on the bench and mightn't play as many minutes as Nichols to start with. But I think there's a world where he can make some decent coin. For, as far as a lot of those bloody cheap ones go, I, I like him more than your Franklin Pellets and your Mitch Kepis and those guys. Yeah, I was going to say I was um, I was liking Kepi a bit more for 30k more. Um, but interesting, he was named in the third own in that trial. Yeah, and I was chatting um, to Mikey on the Manly podcast about it. That um, if he's starting, it sort of projects that he could go pretty well. Two hundred sixty-seven thousand or whatever he is, it's um, two hundred seventy-six thousand. It's um, it's an interesting conundrum to have. Uh, but then again, there's like the Ben Murdoch Masellas that are like, if they're on the bench, it's just poison because he's just going to be no good off the bench at all. And even when he's starting, he's not very good. So. There's, there's going to be some of these dirty options per so I'm going to have to go for him. Uh, Moali has going for him that he's only got two years of first grade experience and he's young and he's waiting for that step up. If this is a step up, it, it could very well happen this year because they're short on the middles. So, yeah, 10 points of value, I reckon he's probably got in him. And considering the base price, it's um, that, that might give him a low score to be playing any week if you've got a buy or something. But at the same time, he's going to make some cash a lot quicker than maybe some other front row forward options. So, yeah, decent shout, 15% ownership, probably should be owned at 15% or more. Perso, that is the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Thank you for your chats during the pre-season. Thank you for jumping on this one at short notice for me to finish off the pre-season Supercoach podcast. We'll get you on for plenty more during the season. Oh, geez, I can't wait for kickoff, mate. Oh, I'm getting excited now. It's really looking forward to this season. I think it's um, going to be a lot tighter than previous seasons at least in the early part of the season before injuries and that sort of thing take hold and teams' depths get tested. But there seems to be a lot of um, sides that are on the up and I still can't really see too many on the down either coming out of the eight. So it should be a very interesting season. Very competitive year. I'm looking forward to it starting, looking forward to chatting to you more about it uh, coming up. Also, when the season starts, we'll have some more talking footy episodes that'll start back up too. But 
For everyone listening, thanks for tuning into the preseason series. If you didn't see the other ones, make sure that you jump on those and listen to all those ones about the teams. But we'll have a TLT one that we'll record on Tuesday night and we'll drop it on Wednesday so you get a Supercoach TLT podcast as well. And make sure that you follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. You can find the podcast everywhere, certainly Amazon, Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes. You can subscribe on all those too, which is great. Certainly share it around and get your... Get your friends to listen as well because we've had so many new listeners this year. It's been fantastic to see. But thanks very much for listening once again. Enjoy playing around with your team. Can't wait until we can talk some TLT on Tuesday. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on. Go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on. Get paid.